Well, uh, my name is Kurt Weaver, and I'm the director of the Church Ambassador Network uh, for Pennsylvania Family Institute. And uh, we're an organization located in Harrisburg, and um, we've been around for about 30 years. Uh, in fact, um, for 30 years, we've been working on this mission right here. Hopefully you can see it. It says, a world where God is honored, religious freedom flourishes, families thrive, and life is cherished. So the last 30 years, we've been working on the pro-life front. And uh, we've been working hard. We've been working here in PA. We've been working all over the country on uh, really dealing with the horrible law that took place back in 1973. Hey, thank you. Dennis, thank you. This is great. Yeah. Millersville Bible in the house, right here in the front. Give it up for Millersville Bible Church. <laughs> you guys are like, who? Uh. Um, and so, so really for the last 30 years, we've been plugging away, plugging away at trying to do a lot on the pro-life front. Something very exciting happened last week. Right? Something very exciting happened last week. And so when we come to this topic, we're talking about what does life, life after row mean here in our country? What does it mean? What does it mean to value life in our country? What does it mean to stand up for life? What does it now mean for all of us? We can, we can look at what happened in the Supreme Court and think, Shrug, you know, shrug our, 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 uh, our necks and say, well, okay, who cares? But God has something for us. God wants us to do something with this gift that he has given us. And we come to the topic of the sanctity of life. Sometimes this can be a hard topic to talk about. And maybe some of you are struggling with this very ruling that came down from the Supreme Court. Maybe there's some people here today who aren't that excited about the overruling of Roe v. Wade. Or maybe you've struggled here in this room because you know family members or friends that have maybe had an abortion. Or maybe you've had one. Or maybe you've contemplated having one. Or maybe you can sympathize with people who find themselves in an unwanted position, not sure what to do with an unwanted pregnancy. Well, wherever we are today, we're going to tackle this issue and hopefully do it in a way that glorifies God and hopefully in a way to instruct all of us in how to deal with Life after Rome. When it comes to Scripture, God even commanded or actually gave a warning to Israel who was also devaluing life. They were not honoring God. They were not following his commandments. And here's what it says. It says this, if you can see on the screen, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. 
Therefore, he says, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days. Did you guys hear me out there? We have a lot of talking going over here. Little distraction. Hey, guys. Hey, if you want to talk, you can go outside the tent. Hey, folks. All right, we'll keep, we'll keep plugging through. But you can hear me, right? Maybe up the volume. There you go. Up the volume. There we go. Sorry, I was distracted there for a while. <laughs> so when it comes to this verse, right, what do we see here? God is telling Israel what's important. It's life. It's life in him. He is the creator of life. He is the giver of life. And he's saying, choose life that you might live. Don't choose death. Unfortunately, our world, we've chosen a culture of death in this world. Dr. Seuss so eloquently put it this way. A person's a person no matter how. Let me say it again. Dr. Seuss said this. A person's a person no matter how. Psalm 139 says this, and I know you know these verses. For I formed you in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, as yet there was none of them. That's amazing, isn't it? Think about yourself. That God saw your unformed being. Not only that, but even before the foundation of the world, he knew you. He knew who you were going to be. He knew your value. He knew your skills. He knew your personality. God knew you from the beginning. Why? Because God is the creator of life. The creator of all life. I want you to watch this amazing video of how life begins. This is Olivia. Though she has yet to greet the outside world, she has already completed an amazing journey. This is the moment that life begins. A new human being has come into existence. At fertilization, her gender, ethnicity, hair color, eye color, and countless traits are already determined. She begins to implant in the uterus about one week after fertilization. Her cells organize into what we call an embryo. At three weeks and one day, 
just 22 days after fertilization, Olivia's heartbeat can be detected. The buds of her arms and legs appear by four weeks. She begins to move between five and six weeks with both spontaneous and reflexive movements. At six weeks from fertilization, her brain activity can be recorded and bone formation begins. She can bring her hands together at seven and a half weeks and separate fingers and toes emerge. She can also begin to hiccup. At the beginning of the ninth week, Olivia will have grown from a single cell into nearly one billion cells and she is now called a fetus. She will suck her thumb and swallow, grasp an object, touch her face, sigh and stretch. At 11 weeks, she is playing in the womb, moving her body and exploring her environment. Her taste bud cells have matured by week 12 but are still scattered throughout her mouth. Her mother will first sense Olivia's movement between 14 and 18 weeks, an event called quickening. Beginning at 18 weeks, ultrasounds show speaking movements in her voice box. Around 20 weeks, with a lot of help, babies have survived outside the womb. At 27 weeks, her eyes are responding to light. She can recognize her parents' voices and will even recognize lullabies and stories. Olivia has gone on an amazing journey during these last nine months. She will soon signal to her mother that it is time for delivery and greet the outside world. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. Life is incredible. It's a miracle that only God can do. Did you ever think of yourself like that? Each one of you is a miracle. Created by the infinite God and created in his image. And that is why each of you, if you ever think about this, if you ever wonder, do you have purpose? Do you have value? The answer is yes, infinitely. Why? Because God is the one that created you in his image. Therefore, since you've been created by God, understand this then, you are then owned by God. You know, I think many of us think that we are just autonomous individuals. We're individuals just living our own lives, <coughs> making ourselves happy, doing whatever we want to do. But listen, my life is not my own. Your life is not your own. A life is not owned by parents, although they are called to protect their children. Life is not owned by the state, although a good government protects its citizens. Life is not even owned by ourselves. We are called to be good stewards of our lives. 
No, life is owned by our Creator, the Almighty God. And yeah, it seems like at times we own ourselves. But it's not true. We're under the ownership of God. We are ruled by the great King Himself. Not only are we owned by God, but we have been ordained by God. Our existence is providential. Do you know that your life is part of God's history? His historical and redemptive plan? You are in that plan? God chose you to be in the plan before the foundation of the world, the relationships that you have, the jobs that you have, the future that you have, the school that you're in, the friends you have. That's all part of God's history. And so each of us play a role in God's history. You know, our view of life is from our own vantage point. But in every moment, our lives are a part of something much greater in God's redeeming storyline and economy. We must consider ourselves as part of the big story. Thirdly here, we're called also, let me ask you this question. Can someone answer this question? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God. The youth pass from the front gets a gold star. Good job, Dennis. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, youth, you can clap for him. Good job. Yes. So do, do you ever wonder what your purpose is in life? You don't have to think very hard about it. You think, what am I going to do in life? Who am I going to be? Who am I going to marry? What am I going to do? God's already planned it out for you. And one, the most important thing that you're called to do in life is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But listen, here's what we're driven by in our sinful nature. We're driven by self-glorification, self-gratification, self-focused, self-centered, self-motivated, self-fulfillment. But no, our ultimate call is to bring glory to God, to give our lives for Him and not ourselves, to acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior, and to follow His Word. So again, why is life so important? It's because God created it. Genesis 1 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female. It's not a mistake. If you're a female here, it's not a mistake that you've been created a female. If you're a male here, you're not a mistake that you're a male, okay? God created them, male and female. God blessed them and said, have many children and grow in number. Fill the earth and be its master and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Listen. Here's why human life is so important. 
Because human life is the pinnacle and the masterpiece of God's creation. We're created in his image. We have an eternal soul. We have thoughts. We are creative. We can communicate. We can love. We can understand justice. We are relational. And until the fall of man in the garden, humanity and the divinity of man made up for the dual nature of man. But after the fall, we wanted to do our own thing, be our own masters. But listen, again, we are created in the likeness of our great creator. Isn't that amazing? We are more like God than any other thing in this world. But listen, there's many ways in which sin in our world has distorted the value of life in our society. There's hatred, there's jealousy, there's crime, there's suicide, there's genocide, there's homicide, and yet there's also abortion in our world, the killing of innocent life. But listen, each one of you in here, every single one of you, your life is sacred. My life is sacred. Your neighbor's life is sacred. The person that you disagree with in life is sacred. Maybe the person that you're holding bitterness against that you shouldn't be is sacred, right? They have value because they've been created in the image of God. Maybe you have a broken relationship in your life. Guess what? All the the harsh thinking you have about them, maybe... It would change you if you start realizing that they are created in the image of God and they have value. They have value. David Clausen wrote this as we think about moving forward here in our culture when it comes to abortion. He says, as the church looks at the way ahead, Christians must speak with courage and conviction and counter anyone who suggests there is another way to interpret the Bible when it comes to abortion. At the same time, we must present our position with kindness and love, recognizing that there are many for whom abortion is personal rather than a theoretical discussion. The gospel is good news for all people, even those who have had or performed abortions. A couple years ago, I was speaking with a pastor, and he said to me, he said, Kurt, I agree with you that abortion is wrong, but he said, I'm never going to talk about it from the pulpit, because I know there's people in my church who have had an abortion, and it would really make them upset if I talked about it. And I thought to myself, wow, what a disservice to those people in your church. You see, there's people in that pastor's church who are carrying the weight of guilt for years, knowing full well that they did something that dishonored the Lord. 
And he is missing an opportunity to talk about the darkness of sin, the darkness in our world, and how beautiful and bright and forgiving the gospel is. To say, listen, if you've had an abortion, guess what? The blood of Jesus Christ covers your sins. You don't have to carry that guilt around with you. You can lay it at the feet of Jesus Christ. And you can experience the freedom of forgiveness. You see, brothers and sisters, we must do two things. We must call sin, sin. We must call what is wrong, wrong. Oh, but make no mistake about it. We have to shine bright the glorious gospel in those conversations. But God... Think about all of us. If you think about all of us, all of us have had some sort of issue with valuing life, right? Whether it's just getting angry at someone, or whether it's talking poorly about someone, or whether it's gossiping about someone, right? That too is a devaluation of life. You're not holding high the sanctity of life in that moment, and so we want forgiveness, right? We know the blood of Christ covers our sins, and we are grateful for it. Abortion is an epidemic that has minimized, if not crushed, if you will, the sanctity of life in our world. And like I said, as Christians, we need to value all life. But we also have to value both lives, the mother and the baby in the womb. And we have to love those who have made regrettable choices. As I said, there will always be forgiveness through the repentance and God's grace. And his love is stronger than all of our guilt and remorse. Let me just say this. This is not an issue of women's rights being restricted as we hear in the mainstream media. This is an issue of God-given human rights. The right to live. The right to be born. The right to experience life. It is the right of all humans because God is the one that gave that life. So this actually comes down to this. I actually unhinge it from the women's rights issue, although all women, okay, should be honored and respected and have value. But I put it under the category of human rights, human life. Babies in the womb, both male and female, must be given the most basic right, the right to live, the right to life. And the Bible indicates that that is the only choice that we have as believers to believe in. To only choose life. Abortion is not a right, nor is it health care. One of the most direct verses in Scripture about life is this. Thou shall not murder. Thou shall not murder. Thou shall not murder. 
I'm going to give you three steps in a pro-life argument. So maybe you're like, I don't even know how to talk to this. I talk about this. It seems so confusing when we talk about uh, uh, the abortion issue and, and the pro-life issue. How can I communicate it in a clear manner? I'm going to give you three steps. You ready for this? Number one, because of what, what we just read, thou shalt not murder. Number one, it's wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human life. Let me say it again. Number one, it's wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human life. That there is our header. That's your statement. Number two, abortion intentionally kills an innocent human life. Okay? Number three, then, is this. Therefore, abortion is wrong. Simple, right? So remember this, okay? It's wrong to intentionally kill a human person, a human being, okay? Number two, okay, therefore, number two, abortion kills a human being. Therefore, abortion is wrong. So what do we do with all this, right? This past year, we had a young girl a 14-year-old girl, and um, she found herself pregnant. And uh, can you just imagine that for a second? Maybe some of you have experienced that, right? That, that's a hard situation. I can't imagine. I have a 14-year-old girl. I can't imagine that happening. And you can imagine what the family was going through in that moment. A 14-year-old girl pregnant. She was getting pressure from everyone, from her friends at school, from her boyfriend, from her boyfriend's parents, from her parents. Everyone in her life was encouraging her to have an abortion. It was the only thing to do in their eyes. This 14-year-old girl, I believe is because the creating the image of God, knowing right from wrong, she, she knew... She had a sense inside that this was wrong. And she had an aunt who was a believer. And she talked to her aunt, and somehow they ended up at our doorsteps as an organization, Pennsylvania Family Institute. In fact, we have an amazing law team. We have four attorneys, high-end attorneys uh, in our offices, and uh, we do all of our work pro bono. We don't charge anything. So this 14-year-old girl comes to us, and she goes, I don't want to have an abortion, but I'm only 14. And everyone, you know, my parents, every, all the adults in my life who are in charge of me want me to get an abortion. They actually even had scheduled an appointment at Planned Parenthood. So this girl comes to us. She comes with her aunt, and she goes, I don't want to do this, Okay. And so uh, we actually signed the paperwork, and we represented her. This 14-year-old girl, she ends up hiring attorneys <laughs> to, to protect her. And so um, she goes back. She tells her parents and everyone, we don't wanna, I don't want to have this abortion. Our attorney teams and some other people in our offices meet with their parents. We talk through it. Um, and then what we do is we send letters to all the abortion clinics in this state and all the surrounding states saying, if you 
perform an abortion on this young girl, uh, you will be in legal trouble. So basically, a cease and desist order was sent uh, to all these abortion clinics. Well, um, I am happy to tell you today that this young girl had an amazing, healthy young girl. She was born this past January. Now, can you imagine this young girl, very brave? And listen, don't get me wrong, it's hard. She's trying to figure out life. She's trying to figure it out. She has ups and downs. We're still involved in her life. You know, her and her mom don't get along. I'm sure you can tell why. She hired an attorney against her mom. Um, but, but she's still living at home. They're trying to work it out. She's trying to raise uh, her young girl, but yet still go to school. And, and so it's certainly a challenge. There's no doubt about it. But talking to this 14-year-old girl, she would say this. I am so glad I made that decision. I had this beautiful life in my life. And even though it's hard, she knows that she did the right thing. The right thing and how freeing that was and is for her. Now, I wish I could say that's a rarity. We've had four of them the past two years. In fact, just this past week, we had a 19-year-old that contacted us as well. The same exact thing. And yet, these girls want to keep their babies and do the right thing. So, when it comes to abortion in our world, let me give you some of the stats. In the U.S. in 2020, there was 900,000 abortions. Now, I, let me just say, the good news, the number of abortions has decreased over the last 10 years by about 15%. Okay, and you're like, oh, well, that's good. The tragedy, however, is this. In 2020, over 900,000 abortions took place in our country. And I want you to hear this stat, which is staggering, right here. Close to 20% of abortions in our country end, I mean, pregnancies in our country end in abortion. That's sad, isn't it? We have a lot of work to do. Here in PA, again, the good news, number of abortions annually decreased statewide about 20% since 2008. However, every year we have 30,000 abortions. Actually, it went up this year, so I can't say it's been continually going down. It did go up. Um, but nonetheless, 30,000 abortions here in our state alone in PA, over 2 million since 1978. So what's the profile of women who find themselves aborting their children? And this is where I want to be sympathetic. It's hard. I'm not denying that it's hard. It really is. Sometimes it is hard to do the right thing. And it's challenging. And we're going to talk in a little bit about how we can be supportive of mothers who choose life. Most women who choose abortion are in their early 20s. Normally, it's their first pregnancy. I think many of them are scared. They don't know what the future holds. They don't know what to do. They have no support around them, right? Many of them are unmarried. 86% of the women who choose abortion are unmarried. That might tell you a little bit about our sexual ethic in this world. 
Uh, even the church needs to grow in this, folks. We need to have a stronger biblical sexual ethic, one that glorifies God, right? But 86% are unmarried. Most abortions take place between the 6th and 13th weeks of pregnancy. Most women, here's the reasons they give, can't afford it or not ready for it. Can't afford it or I'm not ready. Most abortions happen either through the evacuation or suction procedure. It's very grotesque. And most abortions only cost $500. And almost all abortions happen at Planned Parenthood, a large percentage of them. So, of course, we are excited that Roe v. Wade was overturned. But let me say this. I think we have a bigger issue in front of us. It's good that we can now start to make some progress when it comes to life. But listen, it's the culture that we have to change. We need to start seeing a change in our world. A change towards righteousness. A change towards valuing life. After almost 50 years of Roe v. Wade in this country, we finally brought it to its end last week. We have successfully aborted Roe. Praise God that the Supreme Court of the United States, with five brave justices, stood up and said, no, this was a horrible law. So what does this all mean for us, right? What does this mean? It does not mean that abortion is now illegal across the country. That is not true. Okay? Abortion is still legal in many states. But here's what it means. It means that there is now no constitutional right to abortion in our country, which means now there is no federal law that states must allow abortion. Do you understand that? It means that states don't have to allow abortion in our world. Okay? So overturning Roe does not make abortion illegal. It just allows states to make it illegal or restrict it. And since there is now no constitutional right to abortion, 13 states have trigger laws banning abortion entirely or severely restricting abortion after 20 weeks or when a heartbeat is detected. And then there's about 20 other states that are following suit right now. So right away, you're going to have about half the country protecting life. Now, some people will say, well, Roe v. Wade was overturned and nothing happened. That's not true. A lot of babies, a lot of babies were saved this past week. Some of those trigger laws went into effect right away. Praise God for that. However, there are eight states, eight states in our country that allow abortion all the way up to the date of birth, including our border states here in PA, New York and New Jersey. So what do we do? <laughs> what do we do in our state here in PA? Well, unfortunately, in PA, we have something called Allegheny versus PA. And much like we are right now rejoicing what happened on the federal level, that now we're able 
to have some pro-life laws take place in our country to protect babies. That's so great. But here in PA, we are forced with our own Roe v. Wade. Did you know that? Right now, Allegheny Reproductive Services and, a, and Planned Parenthood and about five other abortion centers are suing our state saying that it's unconstitutional to withhold state funding, our tax dollars, or to restrict abortion in our state because they think that there is a constitutional right in our state constitution here in PA. Sue the state, it's now sitting at our PA Supreme Court. If you know anything about our PA Supreme Court, it is very pro-abortion. There is a very good chance that this summer, or maybe early fall, they will rule in favor of Allegheny Reproductive Services. Therefore, codifying, much like Roe v. Wade did on the federal level, codifying abortion in our state, much like New York, much like New Jersey, and much like other states around our country. This would also then mean that we would not be able to restrict abortion all the way up to birth because there would be a constitutional right to it. That's crazy, isn't it? So, we must act. Here's what we're doing. We're working with our legislature in Harrisburg. In fact, we're hoping that this weekend or maybe next week they're going to pass what we call is the Life Amendment, okay? And I'm not going to get into the whole weeds of it. I'd be happy to talk to you over here about it. Oh, by the way, we have a table over here with lots of great info. Make sure you pick stuff up uh, before you leave today. But here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to circumvent our Pennsylvania Supreme Court and circumvent our current governor, who is very, both are very pro-abortion, and we're trying to get this through onto the ballot in 2023 to say this, Pennsylvanians, do you really want abortion codified in our Constitution? Do you want your taxpayer money being used for abortion? Okay, so we're hoping to get that on the ballot. It's the only way, honestly, that we can stop this. Um, I wish there was other ways, there isn't. Now what that means is it has to go through our General Assembly twice. So we're hoping to get it done now, and then we're hoping to get it done again next year, and then hit the ballot in the fall of 2023. How many of you are over the age of 18? All right, good. How many of you will be 18 in two years? Okay, good. Uh, sir, you look way too old to be 18 in two years, but uh, glad you raised your hand. You will still be over 18, that's true. Yeah. Here's what I want to say, and I don't want to get all political, okay? Voting matters, guys. It does. I, I know I've heard this from pastors and churches. Don't get political. But listen, when we're talking about moral issues in our world, when we're talking about protecting life, and our world has politicized it, and we have good laws and bad laws, then you know what it means to glorify God? With what we have, our God, our country, our civic right to vote, yes, we should be looking for ways to honor God by voting. So I'd encourage you in this, 
please be thinking about voting for this amendment and also voting for good leaders, those who believe in life. Now let's move on to something I think, oh, right here, if you want to do this, we have sheets over there about our PA amendment. You can make it known to your senators, to your representatives, tell them to pass the life amendment. This is so important, otherwise we're going to end up like New York and New Jersey. And if you're from New York or New Jersey, I'm sorry, but we don't want to be you. Just saying, okay. So, um... Right here is a QR code, also palife.org. You can go to that web address, has all the info. You can even send stuff right from there to your senators and legislators and tell them to protect life here in this state. So what do we do? Our role after Roe is, number one, stop abortion in our state or severely limit it. We have to be an active voice for the unborn, the voiceless, in our state. Who else? Listen, Christians, let me just say this. We can't expect our secular world to stand for life. We know the truth. You know the truth. You know that all life has value. You know that life has been created in the image of God. How can we expect a secular world that doesn't have that worldview to stand for life? We must stand for life. Every single one of us, you're not young enough to stand for life. You're not old enough to stand for life. We all must join together and stand for life and support anything that values life here in this state and stops abortion. Number two, I'm going to tell you about, I'm going to show you a little video about something that we started last year. Last year we had our first ever PA March for Life. This year it's coming up again on uh, September the 19th, and we'd love to have all of you there. So watch this great little video. Today is the Pennsylvania March for Life, the first ever Pennsylvania March for Life on the Capitol steps. And it's a tremendous turnout from people all over this state who have come to make a stand for the sanctity of life. Do we have some pro-life people out here? I cannot believe the size of this crowd. I haven't seen a crowd this big ever. This might be the first March for Life in PA. Based on the size of the audience, this is not the last. My birth mother experienced the horror and the violence of rape, but yet was courageous enough to choose life and give me the incredible gift of adoption. So whether you're planned or unplanned, whether you're able or disabled, red, yellow, black, brown, or white, I don't care what beautiful hue you are, every human life has purpose. Hello, Pennsylvania. <laughs> We are united by a common mission, our common understanding that every life from the moment of conception or fertilization is precious and demands respect and the ability to actually live. I'm Jeannie Mancini and I'm president of the March for Life. Events like this are critical because we need to draw a line in the sand on the most significant human rights abuse of today, abortion. We've marched for 48 years in this country and we need to keep marching until abortion becomes unthinkable. Somebody has to take a stand, and if not us, then who? It's you and me, in our high schools, in our colleges, 
and in our professional life. When you support abortion, when you are a pro-abortion person, you have to believe the lie. Because if you actually allow yourself to, to know the truth, to see the truth, to believe the truth, then you can't support abortion anymore. I love that people can come together and that they feel like they're not alone in this fight because sometimes it can feel really isolating. You know, like scripture says, don't grow weary in doing good. And, and we're here doing good and using our voices and, and getting energized for the cause for life. see so many people passionate about fighting to end the violent injustice of abortion. And that's why I will keep on speaking for life and praying that not only does this fight continue, but that we're actually able to bring the end of abortion while we continue to do the life-affirming work and affirming those who are facing unplanned pregnancies and loving them and providing for them so that they understand that they have purpose, that their child has purpose, that their life has purpose. Amazing. Please, please, please go to the PA March for Life. Um, we would love to have you there. Again, the date right there, uh, September 19th in Harrisburg. You don't want to miss it. Um, let me move on to this topic here, and I think we need to really talk about this before we conclude today. And that is that we really are called to love them both. We're, loved, we're called to love the baby, we're called to love the mother, and yes, as Christians, we're even called to love the mother and baby after the baby is born. Listen, we need to be thinking about foster care and adoption. We need to be thinking about support and mentorship. We need to be helping and supporting and volunteering at pregnancy care centers. We need to stand for life we need to be culture changers. We need to make our voice known for the, the, the unborn. And maybe some of you here in this, in this tent here, maybe you can start a pro-life group in your school. You know, think about doing things that can change culture. And then, yes, please, 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 we need to pray for life. James talks about this. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Okay, so James is saying this. Consider yourself. Consider how spiritual you are. And does your religion, does your faith in God actually change how you live? And James goes on then. He says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. So what are we called to do with our faith in Christ? To care for the least of these, right? To care for the orphans and the widows, to care for the unborn, to care for the mothers who find themselves uh, having an unwanted pregnancy. But listen, I'm going to end on this. I would be remiss if I talked all afternoon, all afternoon about human life and didn't talk about eternal life. We can rescue lives all day long, but death will still come. And along with death, judgment. That is the reality of it all. 
All of us, me, you, we all have broken God's law. We all are broken. We all are sinners. Every human being will need to give an account to the judge of the universe, our creator. He will, mind you, he will, mark my words, he will punish the wrongdoer. And each and every one of us are wrongdoers. We deserve the full wrath of God. And no one, I repeat, no one will escape his judgment. For Romans says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But listen, here's the rescue story. Here's the rescue story. God being rich in mercy sent Jesus Christ to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death in our place. He took the punishment that we all deserve and his perfect life then is credited to us. It's called the great exchange. Our sin for his righteousness. Listen, without Christ, we are all slaves to sin and slaves to death. But with Christ, we are a slave to God that leads to eternal life. You see, we will all live forever because our souls, as we talked about earlier, because our souls are eternal. Created in the image of God, the God who is infinite, the God who is everlasting, we too, our souls are everlasting. Where, however, where, however, will you spend eternity? Will it be an eternal death? Or will it be in eternal life? Will it be in blessing? Or will it be in torment? Will it be in heaven? Or will it be in hell? Everyone here, I, I beg of you today, if you haven't yet, turn to Christ. Place your trust in Him, and you will be saved. Maybe you've heard this message a hundred times. Maybe even you think that you're saved, but deep down inside, you're just not sure. Maybe today, God is going to give you that resolve, that you will turn and trust in Him, repent and believe in Him, and experience eternal life. Romans 10 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So folks, let's stand for the sanctity of all human life and let's proclaim the need for eternal life to all human beings and let's aim to create a culture of life. Let's bow our heads. God, I do pray that you will, in this country, allow us to start to believe and stand for and have good laws that protect life. And Father, not just that, but I pray that you'll bring a, a great revival in our country where there will be many souls that are not just saved from death, but are saved to eternal life and from eternal death. Father, I pray that you will stir in our hearts to do something, 
something to protect life in this country, to protect life in this state. Lord, help us to make our voices heard. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. I'll be over here at our table. Please come visit. Uh, we have lots of great material to give you. Thank you very much.